0: Hello, I'm Darren Fonda, crypto and finance editor for Barron's. Welcome to Barron's Live, managing your money. Today we have Mark Palmer, managing director at investment bank and brokerage, BTIG. Mark is an analyst who covers digital assets and fintech stocks. He's an expert on all things crypto and companies that are building crypto businesses. And we'll talk about his views of the market and a few of the stocks that he likes right now. Uh, Thanks for being here, Mark.
1: Yeah. Thanks very much, Darren. Um, very glad to be here.
0: So the market for crypto um, has really taken a turn for the worse lately. Bitcoin is trading around 23000 uh, It's down more than 50% for the year. Other cryptos like Ether are also deep in a bear market. And the sell-off has taken down a lot of crypto-related stocks, including Coinbase, PayPal, Block, and MicroStrategy. It seems like investor appetite for crypto has largely evaporated as the Fed's monetary policies have tightened. Uh, amid sky-high inflation. Uh, and it looks like we may be seeing some historic rate increases by the Fed, including including a possible 75 basis point at tomorrow's meeting uh, that may put um, more pressure on crypto. Um, do you think this is the start of a of a cyclical downturn or we're in the midst of a cyclical downturn um, from which uh, crypto can recover, or is there something else going on?
1: Well, I think there's definitely the cyclical factor um, the reality is that uh, cryptocurrencies have been very much uh, demonstrating a correlation with risk assets in general. Risk assets, as you suggested, are uh, very much under pressure, um, in large part because of anticipation of um, significant tightening by the Federal Reserve. Um, you know, there have been a couple of other factors that have been contributing to the crypto downturn. Um, you know, the the implosion of the Terra Luna blockchain and um, uh, UST, which is the associated uh, stablecoin, definitely has weighed on sentiment. Um, Even more recently, you know, we saw Celsius, which is one of the largest uh, crypto lenders, um, announce on Sunday evening that it was going to be halting withdrawals uh, of crypto from its platform. Uh, These things certainly don't help from a sentiment perspective. And, and then that downturn feeds on itself. You know, what we have uh, definitely seen, particularly associated with um, some of the crypto-related stocks that we cover, uh, is a lot of misinformation uh, that has been bandied about, um, not only on social media, where, frankly, you'd expect to see that sort of thing, uh, but even in the mainstream media. We're, we're seeing headlines um, associated with some of the, the stocks that we cover that um, are just factually inaccurate, uh, for example. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, media outlets out there that are getting it right. Um, but um, all it takes is, uh, you know, one or two headlines that suggest something different. Um, and it just exacerbates uh, the downturn that we're already seeing.
0: Well, I'd like to talk about um, a few of the things that you touched on, um, Celsius uh, in particular, and some of the misinformation that we're seeing around some of the stocks. Um, but but I first kind of want to get back to this original question about whether um, this is the start or whether we're in another crypto winter Um, You know, the last one was around 2017, 2018. Bitcoin uh, collapsed by around 80% from its peak. It took several years to recover. Um, Is this another crypto winter that we're in right now? One that's maybe fueled by, you know, tighter monetary policies, rising interest rates, a kind of a risk off mentality across global equity markets uh, and risk assets in general?
1: Yeah, I would say that we are in the midst of a crypto winter currently, Um, but I think that there are some very basic differences between what we are seeing now and what we saw back in uh, the aftermath of 2017. 2017 was all about uh, the ICO boom. We saw all sorts of projects that were floating tokens, um, and then after the token was floated and... Uh, the founders uh, had um, made some money, um, those projects didn't necessarily go anywhere. Um, And so uh, that was really the the height of hype. Um, What we believe is very different this time is that um, this is not just about speculative cryptocurrencies. This is about uh, Web3 and blockchain writ large. And what we are seeing is that um, projects uh, are still being built on blockchains Uh, that are uh, highly innovative, they're providing alternatives uh, to what we see in the traditional world and in traditional finance, Um, and that progress is continuing. Um, We are still seeing uh, venture capital firms funding projects, um, particularly down at the uh, seed level, uh, even the Series A level, despite what we're seeing in the broader markets, um, because the potential of these projects is immense. Um, So we don't think that we're going to go back to where we had been along those lines. We also don't believe that um, the crypto winter, which, again, we believe we are in the midst of, is going to uh, extend over um, the the length of time that we saw uh, the last go round, which um, really extended from uh, 2018 well into 2020.
0: Okay, so a lot of interesting uh, points that you made there. Um, if we are in a crypto winter, it may not last because there are some very real and substantial uh, crypto blockchain projects that are um, developing uh, that have attracted considerable amounts of capital and that may eventually lead to real world um, uses, applications, products, and services. Um, if that is the case, could you give some examples of, of something Uh, like that today? Uh, Like what are the most um, appealing or promising uh, blockchain projects that you think will actually, you know, materialize, um, not just maybe in crypto, but for broader mass market adoption? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, the the list is is extremely long along those lines. I mean, Let's look at some of the problems that are um, impacting the economy negatively right now. Uh, you know, one of them is supply chain, which we hear a lot about. Supply chain issues being uh, one of the factors that is contributing to higher inflation, higher price levels, uh, which um, you know is obviously front and center for every consumer. Uh, what we are seeing is uh, projects on blockchain that are um, being used to uh, greatly improve the efficiency of supply chains. Um, You know, we we just hosted um, a virtual fireside chat with one of them. uh, Origin Trail, as an example, is uh, a project that um, is using uh, a decentralized knowledge graph uh, to um, greatly improve the efficiency of supply chains simply because uh, it enables um, those who are using those chains uh, to understand um, what their products are, to authenticate them, to understand where they are in the supply chain. It takes all of the friction out of what we are currently seeing. Um, it, it does not um, you know, ultimately uh, mean that the, the tankers that are sitting off of Long Beach in California are going to get where they're going more quickly, but it accelerates things on either end of that. It accelerates things uh, from the point at which uh, products are developed and manufactured. It accelerates things on the back end once they actually are offloaded. Uh, and that makes all the difference um, because, again, um, there, there may be bottlenecks along the way, uh, but by removing as much friction as can be removed, um, you see a great deal of uh, efficiency, you know, which ultimately, um, you know, helps to loosen things up and um, hopefully leads to, you um, uh, a, a more balanced supply-demand equation, so that prices can begin to come down a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think the idea, then, um, kind of broadly speaking, is that there's the the speculative, you know, side of crypto. There are the tokens that you can buy and sell and trade on exchanges like Coinbase and Robinhood and FTX. Um, and then there are, um, and that's a whole market of itself. And then there's the, you know, the underlying use cases. Uh, you know, the projects that are being developed on these um, alternative blockchains that could improve on things like supply chain efficiency, uh, maybe, uh, you know, mortgages, financial trading, other, other products, and of course, NFTs and gaming and things like that. Um, and, I, and I think it's important for investors who are considering buying these tokens to understand what they're actually buying um, and what the prospects are for a project to actually materialize um, and kind of meet the promise of the token. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh, I absolutely would. In fact, you know, I think that an analogy that um, is somewhat appropriate here is that um, a blockchain is um, can be thought of as kind of like a, a carnival. And, um, if you go to a carnival, you're not going to go up to a ride and hand over dollars, fiat currency to go on those rides. You're going to buy tickets so that you can go on to those rides. Um, and, uh, if the rides are, um, particularly interesting or attractive, uh, then, um, you know, at least theoretically you could increase the price of those tickets. Um, you know, we certainly have seen that at a lot of amusement parks out there. And, um, so the, uh, the way that we look at this is that any blockchain is similar to that insofar as projects are being built upon it and the attractiveness of those projects is going to cause users um, to hand over their fiat to get tickets to those projects, which in this case is cryptocurrency tokens. And so um, that had been the case for um, all blockchains outside of Bitcoin. Uh, for a long time, starting with Ethereum and then we saw um, other layer one blockchains that were developed uh, where projects are being built. Um, That now also applies to Bitcoin uh, because we are increasingly seeing uh, the Bitcoin blockchain being used as the foundation upon which projects are being built. Um, Certainly, um, a lot of what you're seeing with uh, uh, Jack Dorsey and what he's building at Block, formerly Square, Um, including the project he just announced, uh, the, the TBD project, uh, which calls for a decentralized internet, um, or what he would call web five is part of that. It's all would be built on, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, you have, uh, lightning labs, um, and Elizabeth Stark, who is one of the great innovators, uh, in the space, uh, building upon the Bitcoin blockchain as well, demonstrating that it's not simply, um, uh, a token, it's, uh, also got, um, a wide variety of use cases. So, um, when we hear about, um, Dogecoin and the like, um, you know, uh, that may or may not have utility, um, you know, what we come back to is all of the different use cases that we do see. Um, and, um, and, and frankly, that's where we, we pay much more attention than to any of the, the speculative trends around the space.
0: Okay, that, that's really interesting. Um, and uh, what you said about uh, the Bitcoin network actually having some utility uh, beyond simply trading Bitcoin. Uh, I, I wonder if that is um, causing some pressure on Ethereum, uh, which is the second largest blockchain, uh, the second largest token in Ether. Uh, ether token has been absolutely hammered lately. Uh, and, um, I think one of the reasons that it's come down a lot is, um, because of its, uh, ties to Celsius, uh, and the pressure that we're seeing, um, at Celsius for people who aren't familiar with it. Celsius is a high, uh, yield, um, crypto lender and kind of crypto brokerage, uh, and, um, they uh, froze uh, withdrawals from the network on Sunday. Uh, they appear to be in a kind of liquidity crunch. Um, I believe they've been using some um, related Ethereum tokens as collateral. Um, and uh, that's had some spillover effects to to Ether. Mark, could you talk about that a little bit and the idea that um, I think we're seeing contagion effects increasingly? Uh, Throughout the crypto markets, we saw it with Terra USD having spillover effects to Bitcoin and kind of taking down the broader market. Now Mm -hmm. we're seeing it with Celsius. Um, Could you talk about this idea of contagion from one area of crypto infecting kind of the broader market and also um, what's going on with Ether and and how this is impacting Ether?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I I think... A good place to start is to talk about what's going on with the Ethereum blockchain in general right now. Um, We are getting closer to the point at which we would see what's known as the merge, uh, which is the point at which uh, Ethereum would transition from being what it currently is, a proof-of-work blockchain to a proof-of-stake blockchain. Um, Bitcoin is a proof-of-work blockchain, and as such, Bitcoin is mined. Uh, New Bitcoin comes in the world through a mining process. Proof of stake is very different. Uh, New cryptocurrencies uh, that emerge from proof of stake blockchains uh, do so um, through a process of validating transactions on the blockchain. And those who validate the transactions uh, receive crypto as a reward. So there's not the great energy consumption. Um, it's, It's viewed as much more efficient. Um, And that's where Ethereum is heading. Uh, What's very important with regards to the merge is that uh, it would help to address much of the congestion that we have seen on the Ethereum blockchain, because Ethereum has been so popular um, in terms of its use to facilitate um, the use of Web3 projects, um, that there's just a tremendous amount of traffic uh, that's been uh, going through it. And it has not been able to scale to the extent that it can handle all of that traffic. So uh, what we have seen uh, starting um, actually more than a year ago is um, folks who see Ethereum evolving to a proof of stake blockchain, which means that they can do what is known as staking, which is where you commit um, your cryptocurrency to a proof of stake blockchain where it is used in the validation process I mentioned, and by staking your tokens, you get to receive a portion of the rewards that are um, that emerge from validation. So, what kind of rewards are we talking about? It can be anywhere from mid single digits, five percent, up into the mid teens, which is obviously pretty attractive. The problem. Uh, had been that if you uh, staked on Ethereum, your to- your coins, your ETH is locked up until the point at which we get to the merge. And then there's a period beyond the merge that would have to occur. And then at that point, you'd finally be able to get your ETH off of uh, the-, the platform. Um, now, there have been some innovative platforms out there like uh, Lido Finance being a big one, uh, there are others um, such as Figman and Blockdaemon that are also uh, doing this uh, for institutional investors. But the uh, notion of um, what is known as liquid staking uh, has been become very popular because liquid staking enables those who um, lock up their tokens on Ethereum in anticipation of the merge and the rewards that would come from that to be able to have access to um, the uh, their Ethereum token, basically it's a proxy token that they can use and, they, and you can go out to DeFi protocols and use it for borrowing and lending and for collateral margin on trades, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's been enormously successful. Um, we're seeing growth during the crypto winter. We're seeing growth in liquid staking. The leader in that space is Lido Finance. Um, what apparently has occurred with regard to some platforms, Celsius being one that uh, has been mentioned in this regard is that um, the state the token that results, the proxy token that I was referring to, um, actually changes shifts in value uh, over time as well. It's not necessarily one for one stable relationship with uh, the, the price of Ethereum. And we can see some slippage in that regard. And um, this has created some problems uh, across uh, the entire space. And as you suggested, Darren, uh, when it happens on a big platform, um, you know, in the case of Celsius, you're talking about upwards of $11.8 billion, uh, in assets on the platform as of May 17th, um, it's going to affect an awful lot of other entities. And so what we have seen is um, uh, various uh, companies that are out there coming out and saying, you know, we don't have exposure to Celsius. Uh, you know, an example of that, Voyager Digital, um, which historically had interacted uh, with Celsius, they came out and said flatly, you know, we don't have exposure to them. We don't trade with them at this point. Um, you know, so uh, it, it's one of these situations after you have um, a, a major event that shakes the markets. Then in the aftermath, it's just a question of, okay, who else is impacted by this?
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, it does seem like there is more uh, contagion um, coursing through the crypto markets, and that was a good example of it. Um, I I think another trend that we're seeing is just an overall retrenchment uh, and a scaling back of development, at least among some of the big publicly traded companies. So Coinbase is in the news right now because they just announced I think an eighteen percent layoffs, about eighteen percent of their staff. Um, They've essentially frozen hiring. Um, BlockFi, another crypto lending company, um, has said that they're laying off workers. Um, Is this is this likely to continue in your view? And and if we do see more layoffs and, and and more of like a pullback and headcounts at these big crypto companies, that the the products and services and development and kind of mainstreaming of crypto may not happen at the the pace uh, and at the scale that was uh, previously anticipated. And that has implications, obviously, for, um, you know, for users and for adoption of crypto, but also for the stocks.
1: Well, I think, you know, looking at Coinbase first, um, you know, there had been, after the company reported uh, first quarter numbers that were viewed as disappointing, um, a lot of. Uh, concern about how much runway uh, Coinbase would have as it um, uh, continues to um, execute on its growth plans. And you know, one of the things that management said was that they were going to manage to a maximum adjusted EBITDA loss for 2022 of 500 million and that they would take actions accordingly. Um, now, that's important because... Uh, when we are in the midst of a crypto winter and stocks are trading where they are currently, um, they begin to reflect not only, um, you know, the, the uh, what's going on in general, they, they really begin to reflect the survivability chances of any of these stocks. Are they going to be around in the future? Are they going to be subject to a take under as part of consolidation? You know, which we, we certainly believe that consolidation is a, a likely outcome of what we are seeing in general. Uh, but in the case of, of uh, Coinbase, it's very important to note that at the end of the first quarter, the company had something around six and a half billion dollars in cash uh, and liquidity available. Um, so the notion of limiting the burn, the cash burn, uh, by um, uh, retrenching to some extent, you know, simply makes sense. Um, this is not the first time that Coinbase has gone through a crypto winter. You know, the, the firm has been around since uh, 2012 and, uh, of course, went through the crypto winter, you know, after the, the 2017 uh, ICO boom uh, over the course of years. So they, they understand how to manage through this. Um, you know, in our view, it's only prudent uh, to right size um, the cost structure. And that does include workforce uh, of a company uh, to um, prepare for an extended downturn. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing um, with Coinbase, with with BlockFi. And um, I believe that we're likely to see that pretty much across the entire space. Um, again, simply because it makes sense um, to adjust um, a cost structure to anticipated demand um, and ultimately to lengthen a runway. Um, what this also means in our view is that um, a Coinbase is more likely to um, be a consolidator uh, over time um, as uh, things shake out. You know They're going to be in a position to take advantage of, um, of the fact that some smaller um, and less well-capitalized firms that still have really attractive offerings um, are not going to be able to continue, or they're going to be looking for a lifeline you know, a larger firm like Coinbase is going to be in a position uh, to provide one. So, um, you know, I think that what they did uh, was very smart for the long run. Um, You know, in terms of acquisitions, you know, Coinbase was um, built through acquisition. They've done more than 25 acquisitions during the 10 years that they've been in operation, and we anticipate that they will continue to.
0: Okay, thanks, uh, Mark. Um, I'd like to like re- to remind the audience to submit a few questions. Uh, we already have a few and I'll, I'll take some of them uh, before we have to sign off. Um, I, I would like to talk about the stocks because that is your area of uh, expertise, Mark. Um, and um, you um, have buy ratings on a few crypto related stocks, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, Coinbase, MicroStrategy, Block, and PayPal. Um, could you just Briefly talk about why you uh, recommend each of those
1: companies? Certainly, and I'd um toss in a couple more. Um, Galaxy Digital is another, Voyager Digital being another. Um, you know, starting with MicroStrategy, MicroStrategy is uh pretty much straight up a play on um the price of Bitcoin and the anticipated price of Bitcoin. Um so Uh, Again, for those investors, institutional investors in particular that have a mandate such that they cannot buy Bitcoin outright, MicroStrategy provides a vehicle through which they can do so. Um, You know, so our constructive view there is based on a couple of things right now. One is that the price of Bitcoin is likely to rebound. You know, we believe that uh, as we were talking about earlier, the utility of Bitcoin is greater than what is generally perceived. um, And that um, when we begin to see um, the pressure on risk assets began to ease. At some point, the Fed is going to have to signal that it's going to pause its tightening, um, that, that we'll see a rebound uh, and a meaningful one. Right now, again, just given uh, some of the misinformation with regard to the company's capital structure, this has created a really interesting opportunity to get involved in that stock here. Um, you know, Coinbase, again, is um, a platform play, and it's one that is not fully understood so much focus has been on uh, its transaction activity and the potential for um, uh, the what's known as the take rate or the transaction rate um, associated with um, uh, each of the trades that it facilitates uh, declining, compressing the same way we have seen in the uh, traditional equity brokerage space, the, the Schwab's and, uh, and the like of the world uh, where um, commissions went to zero. Well, we um, anticipate that you are going to see over time uh, that uh, commissions are going to go to zero. Um, It's not going to happen in the next number of months. It's not going to happen in the next couple of years. And over that time, you're going to see Coinbase transition to um, a much more diverse uh, platform with multiple revenue sources. A good example of this is the NFT marketplace that Coinbase uh, launched um, not too long ago. It it did, unfortunately, at an inopportune time. But um, you know it's really um, nascent, as is a lot of what Coinbase is doing, um, and so the the potential is definitely there. One thing that I would note along those lines is as we were talking about take rate, is that um, uh, as as folks are concerned about the uh, Coinbase's overall take rate, uh, the NFT space is one which is um, uh, typically illiquid and long tail. Illiquid long tail markets translate into very high take rates. Typically, if you look at uh, you know, the likes of OpenSea, you know, the um, take rates that they are able to enjoy are, are much, much higher than what you see in the uh, crypto exchanges. And so the addition of the NFT marketplace could actually cause um, a positive surprise um, down the road when um, Coinbase shows up with uh, a rising take rate uh, that would uh, more or less fly in the face of uh, some of the narrative that's out there.
0: Okay, Um, and uh, uh, you also like um, Block and PayPal, which are predominantly payment apps, but both of them have crypto exposure. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about them briefly uh, and um, and then we'll go to a question from a reader uh, listener. Sorry.
1: Sure. Just to clarify, we actually have a neutral rating on PayPal at this point. Um, We were um, uh, a bit concerned about um, the change direction that the company, um, announced, uh, not too long ago with regard to, um, a focus on, um, extracting, uh, more, um, revenue from their existing client base rather than, uh, focusing on growing their, their client base in general. It didn't send a great signal, uh, with regard to their growth prospects, uh, writ large sounded more like harvesting, which is something that a more mature company would do rather than one in a, earlier stage of its growth. So for the record, we are neutral on PayPal. Block is a different story. We are actually very encouraged uh, by Block's prospects, um, particularly as it pertains to international markets. Now, one of the big stories uh, in the fintech space uh, during the, um, uh, the earlier stages of the pandemic uh, was the Cash App, uh, which was the then Square, now Block Cash App. Um, and the fact that it served as um, a means through which um, those who do not have a bank account uh, to be able to receive government transfer payments like stimulus payments or enhanced unemployment benefits. And um, what you see there is a bank that has been designed to um, address the needs of the unbanked, which is tens of millions of Consumers in the United States alone. Beyond the borders of the United States, um, you're talking about something like 1.7 billion consumers who are in that situation where they do not have a bank account. Um, Unlike PayPal, which has been ubiquitous and global for some time, you know, block has really been focused on the U.S. market primarily for um, its uh, since it was founded. And, you know, hence you're seeing um, the percentage of the company's total revenue still, you know, in the low teens from a percentage standpoint. You know, the opportunity to expand into Europe, um, into um, Latin America into Asia is all in front of block. And so I think that's one aspect of the story that um, may be underappreciated. Now, we're talking about crypto here. Of course, um, you know, block offers uh, trading of Bitcoin. There's an awful lot of focus um, on uh, what happens with Bitcoin. And, and frankly, uh, it's kind of remarkable to us that uh, the shares of block are um, from time to time just as uh, much correlated with the price of Bitcoin um, as our shares of MicroStrategy, which is entirely focused on Bitcoin, uh, or at least mostly. Um you know, the reality is that Bitcoin or facilitating the trading of Bitcoin is something that Cash App does for its users. Um, but at the same time, it's really a pass through. The The amount of gross uh, margin that is generated by Block from Bitcoin trading relative to the company's overall gross profit really is not great. And so um, when we see Block trading uh, poorly Based on the price of of Bitcoin declining, to us that says there's an opportunity there.
0: All right, we have time for a question, uh, and then we'll have to wrap it up. Hal says Hal has two questions. Uh, He says the only credible use case for crypto was as as an inflation hedge against fiat currency. That didn't happen. Uh, What did happen? And then secondarily, he says it's reprehensible how much energy crypto mining consumes for a useless speculative enterprise. Uh, do you have a comment on that?
1: Sure. Um, well, with regard to the first point, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, um, you know, we see web three and blockchain as being uh, a, a much uh, more expansive space than uh, just what we see with regard to speculative cryptocurrencies. And, um, you know, the, the innovation that we're seeing in that space um is is been remarkable in in frankly a relatively short period of time you know the uh, tokens associated with those projects again um you know over time we believe will reflect uh the value the inherent value of those projects and so um in that uh regard um eventually we believe that they're going to be evaluated the same way that equities are Meaning, you know, that you can use a discounted cash flow analysis, look at the revenues uh, that are generated by these projects, look at their costs and and uh, do a DCF along those lines. so, um, you know, we do not see um, store value as is suggested as being uh, the only um, uh, real value associated with crypto far from it. Uh, with regard to uh, Bitcoin mining, and um, actually that's the one area of the web 3 space that I don't cover my colleague Greg Lewis at PTIG covers that space. Uh, but what I would um, refer to is uh, you know some of the work that's being done by um, the um, Bitcoin Mining Council, uh, which is a group that, that came together. They're very much focused on uh, developing uh, more environmentally friendly approaches to Bitcoin mining. Um, we've seen uh, aforementioned uh, Jack Dorsey at Block, uh, who um, uh, Block has its own initiative along those lines. Um, you know, so uh, there's definitely a lot of focus uh, in that regard. Um, but again, you know, if you look at Bitcoin as a, um, in, in terms of the the role that it plays in the broad crypto market, um, you know, it's it's certainly a portion and a large portion of that market. But it's nowhere near all of it. And And we hear that all the time where people are conflating Bitcoin with uh, Web three. Um, you know bitcoin is has got its its place in the world. Web three is a much, much larger universe and ecosystem.
0: All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks for being here, Mark. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, and have a nice day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.